Well, hello, church. It is so good to see you, and we have made it to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. We started this way back in January, having no idea what was coming our way, but I think it was valuable to actually be studying a book about the futility of our plans and how difficult the world can be while we're right in the middle of all this crisis. And as we continue to move forward, whatever direction that goes, the Holy Spirit will take us, our shepherds will lead us, and we're going to be all right. But we have a lot of work to do today to finish up the book. I promised you last week that there's going to be a twist at the end. It's not a manufactured twist. It's not um, introducing a new character at the very end of a mystery to explain everything. It's not going to be like that. But I want you to hang in there. And I'll have to talk fast because we have a lot of work to do. This book ends with a song and then an epilogue penned by somebody else, a, a guest uh, epilogue writer, I guess you might say, very one most likely who started the book. It's bookended by another voice. This voice says, I'm bringing you what the teacher gave us. And he set it all in order. And so he started it. And now we're going to hit the end of it. But first... We have a song, and there's a song in here, which is beautiful and confusing. It's according to which part you dip into, but you can't read more than a few verses without saying, that was lovely, I think, but what was this? So let's have a look. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'm going to start at verse 8. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Well, that's an interesting song, uh, to be fair, a part of a song. I don't think it's going to chart anytime soon. We probably won't be humming this in our lullabies, but there, it's because we don't get the language. We don't get the culture behind the language. Therefore, when we read the words, we don't see what they saw. For example, I want you to imagine that somebody out of 1850 showed up. All right. And as you're, they're trying to follow your conversation and you say things such as, well, I ran a red light and then that's when I got pulled over. But I pulled out my phone and took a video of they would have no context. What does run a red light mean? What could that possibly mean? All of these different phrases they wouldn't be able to understand. So we're struggling uphill from 930 BC to now, trying to understand how this works, that you can say, hey, have fun, but remember, God will judge you for all of this. Okay, there are ways to work our way through this, and we need to, because it's really important. Notice the balance, actually. The balance is, there's going to be good, there's going to be bad. Remember that there's good when it's bad, and remember that there's bad when it's good, and that'll help you keep your head, whether it's good or it's bad. But there's more there as well. First of all, there is an overwhelming sense in the book of Ecclesiastes 
that it's okay to enjoy eating and drinking and being with your friends. It's okay. In fact, it's laudatory. It is it is, it's wonderful for you to love your wife and to love your husband and play with the kids, to enjoy sunshine. There's a guilt thing that just absolutely rushes through a lot of religious groups. They're terrified, terrified that you're going to have too much fun. There's too much laughing and joking. Oh, I don't like the music. Oh, this, that. And they, the religious seem to sincerely believe that all joy must be tamped down. And it must be, if there is any joy at all, must be in regulation, must be have a beginning and an end point. How did we get here? When we have a God who invented bees and, and taught them how to dance, when we have a, a God that invented giraffes, how did we get to a place where we thought we weren't allowed to have joy and that joy would not please God? Ecclesiastes, at least it should, disabuses us of this notion and says enjoy and specifically calls out the young people. Young people, enjoy your life. Young people, enjoy what your heart makes your heart happy. That little hook at the end scares people. It says, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. God will bring you to judgment who sees all of these things? Yeah. And then it goes right after that. God will bring you to judgment. So banish anxiety from your heart. When I was, a, I've mentioned this before. When I was a, a little boy, we went to this church. I think it was about a year, maybe maybe two years. And they sang uh, Southern gospel songs as well as old hymns. But within this one little guy, and I wish I could say his name because I could see him just right, just now. But he may have relatives, so I'm not going to not going to locate the name or the church, but he'd get up and he'd get into it. And one of his favorites was the song. There's an all seeing eye watching you. And when, and he would take a step back. And then when he's watching you, he'd lean forward and point. And we were all trying to talk, uh, um, get out of the room of that, that finger. We did not want the finger gun of God aimed at any of us. It terrified us. And so whenever I, I see this, it says, listen, have fun, have fun, but God will bring you to judgment. But banish anxiety from your heart. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster here. Or even worse, did you ever do this on a playground? Where kids would all line up and they grab, hold hands. And the, the leader would then take you and we, you'd be running kind of sideways. And then the leader would turn real tight. Well, the closer you were to the end of the whip, the more likely you're going to be flung into the monkey bars. It's great fun. It's great fun. The survivors we meet still and talk about these games. Um, that's what I feel like reading this. But then I go back to the way they talk and I realize something. We think of the judgment of God as a bad thing. Oh, God's going to judge you. Great. I don't want anybody else to. Really. Seriously. I, I love you people, and I, and you love me. You've demonstrated that to me. I have no doubt to that, and I hope that I've demonstrated the same to you. But you do not want me to be judging you, and I do not want you to be judging me. I want God. God's the only one that's got the inside information. God's the only one who's going to love me that much. God's judgment in Scripture is not always a negative. Very, very, very often, 
it's hugely positive. When the angel goes to appear to Daniel, he says, Daniel, you're, you're highly esteemed in heaven. And you might say, oh, well, that's Daniel. All right, let's go to David, King David. King David, uh, we would not let him say a prayer in our churches today. You know, adultery, treason, murder. Um, we don't really know what was going on sometimes, you know, with Bathsheba, um, whether that was rape or, or what was going on. He, uh, he led guerrilla movements. Um, and then as, even as a boy, however, God looks around and says, I want him. I want that one. God's judgment it didn't take away David's sin, but it made David mean something. It made David have a life where he could do great things. The judgment of God might be, well, all right, hang on. If this is, if this is getting difficult, what if I were to come up to you, square myself to you, see, I'm going to judge you. What would your response be? Well, I would hope that you wouldn't just punch me out at first. Give me time. But absolutely, you would be, you, you'd become defensive. Just as, uh, even more so than when people come up to you and say, can I give you some constructive criticism? I always say, no, I'm not really sure that exists. You can criticize and hope that I can take it and do something good with it. But constructive criticism, I'm not really sure how that flows. Anyway, if I say, I, I, I want to judge you, and you, you brace yourself, and I say, out of all the people in this church, I think your prayers touch me and speak for us better than any prayers I've heard. You might be thinking, that's not a judgment. Yes, that is. That's a judgment. Where I could say, I think you're the best artist here. Or I think you're the best looking. Or And that could be creepy if you're not related to me. Got that. But Or, or whatever it is, judgment is, is hugely po positive in our lives. What would you like for dinner? You're making a judgment. What are you going to wear today? You're making a judgment. What kind of car? You, you get the point. We don't need to keep doing this. When God is watching you and he loves you and he made you and he's going to send his son down to die for you because he loves you that much, why do we always think the judgment's going to be negative? No. I watch my grandsons play. And sometimes the silliness is just, and I always grin because I'm thinking, I'll bet God's having a great time right now. Watch this. He gets, to, he gets to see stuff like this. I bet he judges this as a good thing. So go back and read that again, especially if you're a young person, because he seems to be really nailing the young people there, but he's not nailing. He's saying, enjoy live your life, be who God made you to be. Now, do we have to say, I guess we do. This is not a license to sin or make up your own rules. Yes, I just touched my face. We're all going to die. Um, that, that's, we're, we are all going to die, but probably not of this. Um, let's move on, shall we? I feel like I'm back in the pulpit now because I'm starting to run down all the rabbit holes whenever I look at your faces. Here we go. You just... Follow God and enjoy what God gives you, and everything is good. You don't get to not follow God and still be judged as good. No, no. That's, it's, this is not saying, hey, do whatever you want to. God's going to love you. He's our father, not our grandfather. You get away with a lot more with grandfathers than fathers as a rule. 
And his father, he really loves you. He's on your side. That's a good thing. That doesn't even say God will judge you. He says he'll bring you to judgment. He's going to walk you in. He's going to let everybody see, I'm on their side. Even before we've all sorted this out, I'm walking them in. And that, that's so cool. But we had to get past that, didn't we? We had to get past that 3,000 years of cultural shift in the use of language. Oh, but there's more. There is so much more. This, um, this book likes to do this to us. It'll, it'll bring us up to something. And, and we'll think, all right, I think we're going. No, we're not going there. Judgment is a positive when Jesus does it. Think about that. Not always. There's the Olivet Discourse. It's, it's known in Matthew where he gets very upset at the religiously arrogant and smug. But otherwise, when the woman who was caught in adultery was standing before him, and after he'd gone through the, his actions and the men had all left, he looked up at her and said, who condemns you? And she, he said, you know, where are they that condemn you? She goes, they're not here. He says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I, therefore, judge you harshly. He says, go and sin no more. There was a correction to be made in her life. But God was not judging her negatively. He knew the backstory, which nobody else knew. And we don't know. And that's good news. Think about the woman, the fallen woman, who is crying over the feet of Jesus while Jesus is in a upper religious echelon Bible club supper meeting. And all of the Pharisees are just about to have a stroke. But Jesus says, she's done what she could. That's a judgment. Now do you see how judgment can absolutely be in our favor, especially if it's God doing it. Only let God do it. So enjoy your life. And remember that God loves you. He'll bring you to judgment. Man in circumstance won't be in charge of your judgment. God will. Well, let's read a long passage now. Uh, and that's in our last chapter, chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And just keep the scripture up there. But got to tell you, you will remember what you learned when you were young far better than you will remember what you learned when you're old. So this is very valid stuff. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the, when the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Wow. 
the message really here is not new. Enjoy what you can enjoy while you can enjoy it. But be aware that our time on earth is limited. Acknowledge this. Factor it into your, your priorities, where your money goes, where your heart goes, what you watch on television, what you watch on your phones, who you talk to, how you talk to them. Remember things on this planet are temporary. Treat them as such. And since our time is also temporary or limited, let's treat that in a special holy way. All the joy, all the joy. But remembering that we need to do what we need to do now because we don't have any, any other time but now. I can remember uh, the last three or four years of my dad's life was, was hell for him. He'd never had hobbies, didn't play games, and he was stuck in a chair, almost entirely blind, very hard of hearing, in pain, his mind scrambling. What they did every day, my mom, whose mind is still quite strong to this day, they would put a little recorded Bible on. In fact, it, it came, one of these things that they must have bought off the television or one of the catalogs that are shipped to older people because it looked like an old Bible but it's really an electronic Bible. And they were so excited. They put batteries in it and they'd flick the switch and Alexander Scorby would be reading the King James Version to them. On and on. I'd come to the house year after year. That's what's going on. Why? Well, why not? But also this. What they learned when young is what they wanted to hear again when old. It mattered to them. It brought them peace. It brought them joy. Remember what's important. Keep, keep it going through your head. I've been by the, the bedsides of many people who have Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia or who are dying of different diseases. And the last thing to ever leave their mind are the songs. And so you can still stand, stand around the bed and sing. And even if they can't sing, which you would be surprised how often they can. But even if they can't sing, you can see the peace on their face. Or what about a young, uh, about to say young lady, she was actually quite elderly, who had had a stroke. And I went to see her and her speech did not recover. She really struggled, but she was able to finally get the message to me that she couldn't pray anymore. And here was a woman that had been a woman of God all of her life. And it wasn't that she didn't believe in God. It was that her, her brain was scrambled. And I said, you let us pray for you now. You prayed prayers for others. Let us carry you now in prayer. It's our turn. That's really what this ending point in chapter 12 is all about. Saying, listen, it gets harder sometimes and it will end. So let's help each other and carry each other. And understanding there will be a time where people be afraid of heights and afraid in the streets, but let's not be them. And then the last five verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, the epilogue writer pops back in. We've heard the last from the teacher. He starts by saying that the teacher was really wise and collected a lot of proverbs and he's put them out there for us and he hopes that we use them. But then we find this lovely couplet of verses. Chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. 
The words of the wise are like goads. Now that's, by the way, like a stick you poke an animal with to keep it moving. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of making anything in addition to them. We'll pull out now and just talk about this just a bit. Wisdom is our shepherd who nails things down. Does it make you shudder a bit to realize we have a shepherd, a good shepherd named Jesus, and to see the name shepherd and nails right beside each other? He nailed it down. He nailed it down with his life. He nailed it down with his teaching. And he took the nails. Remember who gives us the good in our life. Remember the wisdom he tries to share. So while we enjoy our lives and laugh and eat and yes, enjoy, we remember to stay wise. It's always important because we don't want to do anything to besmirch the reputation of Jesus Christ. We don't want to do anything that brings the name of God into disrepute. And so as his representatives on earth, we accept that there are some things nailed down and nobody can pull them up because the shepherd put them there. The shepherd did indeed bring us truth for he was the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the father but by him. He said so, and we believe it. Our shepherd, in fact, will agree with how this book ends. So first, let's look at how it ends, and then we'll look at our Savior's agreement. Exodus chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And again, we look at that judgment and we go, oh no, this verse was always used as a threat in sermons when I was growing up. But he says he will also bring in the good that the others did not see. Psalm 139, the Bible says that God formed us and knows us and therefore understands why a word is on our tongue before we even say it, understands why we stand up and sit down. He's the judge and that's very, very good news. And none of us are the judge. And none of us should allow anyone or anything to judge us or our value. And here we come to the twist at the end of the book. Remember how we just talked about judgment? We narrow it to a negative when it's a much bigger, more expansive, rather optimistic word when it's applied to God judging us. This book sometimes can become very, very confusing to us because a word in it repeats again and again meaningless, or in the older versions, vanity. It'll tell us, enjoy your food and enjoy your friends, but it's meaningless. Enjoy your work, but it's meaningless. Enjoy the sunrise, but it's meaningless. And we keep going, well, make up your mind. Yes, touching face again. So I'm a fearless man, just completely fearless. I'm a hero, I guess. Not all heroes wear keeps. The only problem with all of these ups and downs is that we don't get what he means by meaningless. All my life, I've heard people talk, well, it means vain. What does that mean? Well, vanity. <laughs> well, what does that mean? Empty. Well, and, and how does that, what does that mean in this context? Well, that nothing matters. 
well, except except everything, and it gets confusing. So let me help you. The only problem with the food and the drink and the work and the sunshine and all those paths that the teacher took to try to find blessing and meaning in life is that they don't do that. You can't get your meaning from them. God wants you to enjoy your life. But what if you're not enjoying your life? Does that mean your life is meaningless? No. Well, what, what, if, it, what if you're really enjoying your life? Is that? No, that's not how you get your meaning. You get your meaning not from these things, but from the one who made you and who has called you to him. So, all of these things are blessed by God, loving your spouse and enjoying your food and doing your work to the best of your ability. All of these things are blessed by God, but they are not measurements for our value. Neither are they measurements for how much God loves us. If I have a fantastic week, get a whole bunch of, hey, great sermon emails and hey, we really love you emails and, you know, that sort of thing. Great. And if I get a week where everything I do just goes wrong, my own fault, you know, I blow it. I, I do this wrong. I do that wrong. I am loved by God exactly the same in both weeks. I'm loved by God if I never get a cold. I'm loved by God if I die of COVID in a hospital. None of these things give us our meaning. Our meaning comes directly from the hand of God. It does not fit on a spreadsheet. Just because you ended up getting tons of blessings and the person next to you seems to always be sick and always have issues, do not assume you mean more to God or they mean less than you. Because that's not what meaningless and vanity means in the book of Ecclesiastes. It means don't measure yourself by things that are not designed to measure your value or God's love. You measure yourself by the fact you are a child of God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a daughter of the king, a son of the king. You are a fellow worker of the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior of the world. That's all the judgment you need. And that's all the meaning you need. Let us remember, the world is just full of world stuff. It wasn't designed to tell us how valuable we are. So God sent Jesus, and now we know. God bless. <clears throat>